0: Hey, we're going to be uh, continuing in our sermon series on um, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we ended the Beatitudes a few weeks ago and took a hiatus, uh, but we're returning. Uh, sermon on the Mount, Matthew five, starting in verse thirteen today. Um, <clears throat> now, there's this Christian businesswoman who was uh, really anxious to get to work because they were going to meet the new boss for the first time. He was going to introduce himself to the staff so this woman was got on the road and she was traveling along and then she got behind a slow driver and it drove her nuts man she started to tailgate this woman in front of her um and uh you know you've never done that before have you to give the hint have you have you i haven't oh let's let's confess here (laughs) um I have, uh, and but this woman was moseying down the road, looking left and looking right, and just back and forth, checking out the land, and, and uh, this businesswoman uh, was just getting so impatient. Finally, she had the opportunity to pass uh, the woman in front of her, and as she passed, she laid on the horn and gave her a look you know, with her hands and with her face, and then like, oh, I can't believe you, and then she sped off to her job site, she got to the job site, went to the conference room, took her seat there, boss came in. Gonna, but, then, but then someone came in after the boss and sat right down next to the woman. She looked over, and it was the woman that she had passed. The boss's wife! <laughs> you know, there are two reasons that people don't accept Christ. Uh, first, they've never met a Christian Secondly, they've met a Christian. How can we have a positive witness for Christ? This is the theme this morning uh, from the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave us a a strategy, and his simple strategy was be salt and light. In Matthew 5, he said, You are the salt of the earth. let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven salt and light that's Jesus' strategy we all know the song this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine you can sing it this little light of mine i'm gonna let let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine and then hide it under a bushel no, uh, don't let saint blow it out there should be a first verse though and I had the pleasure of writing the first verse to that song this little grain of salt Jesus will, we will exalt we'll exalt, we'll exalt, we'll exalt salt comes before light and I believe Jesus meant it to be strategic why does that matter? Because salt, first of all, think about the characteristics. Salt is invisible. When it's doing its best work, it disappears into the food. It's absorbed. Salt is not meant to remain in the salt shaker, to admire itself by its whiteness and purity. You know, uh, we gather together and that's great. But we're meant to not remain together in a church like this. Remain to go, remain, uh, we, we are here to go out into the world and be salt and light. Another important characteristic, though, of salt is that it creates thirst. That's what I want to focus on. That's why peanuts and pretzels are at many bars or pubs around the world. Because, and they're free for the taking because... The more you eat, the thirstier you become. The more you spend, the more profit is made for the business. Well, Jesus in John 7 said this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So that's salt. Light, on the other hand, is not invisible. It is very stark. We can see it blatant. It's obvious. I remember growing up as a kid, every Christmas evening... We went to my maternal grandparents' house to watch grandma and grandpa painstakingly open their presents. Oh, what do we have here? Like, Come on. You know, so we crammed in their little living room in their Swedish home. All the relatives, not just our family, but all the relatives, cousins, and just sat there and waited for them to open up all their presents. But I remember one day my dad was so excited that he got a 8 millimeter camera and he came down the stairs into the living room, and he was filming us. But that particular camera needed a big light in order for, to, you know, in the day to see indoors, right? So he had this light attached to the camera, and brrr, like this. Smile, everyone, wave. We're all going like, and we have home movies of us going like, uh. It was horrible. And, and to this day, we... We get together and we think, we know that the living room increased by 15 degrees because of that light. Literally, every Christmas, and it's a standing joke, every Christmas, my dad had this this stupid camera, and he wanted to take pictures, and it annoyed us to death. Get that light out of our faces. Well, being a light without first creating the thirst, without the salt, it's like pointing one's finger in someone's face, telling them to get right with God by first establishing uh, we have to first establish a thirst so that people will want to hear the good news of the light of Christ. There's a bumper sticker that reads, when we give our opinion when it is not asked for, it will be, be taken as an insult. So something like that. When we give our opinion before it's asked for, it will be taken as an insult. In other words, people do not care what we know as Christians until they know that we care. Conversely, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples not by your words, your intellect, how you can argue, but by your love for one another, by how you display the love of Christ. That's how they will know that this thing is real. Salt comes before light because a spiritual thirst has to be established before someone will be receptive to the light of the good news. Jesus demonstrated this over and over again. He won people over to himself by creating a thirst, a spiritual thirst. He would ask people questions. He would tell them parables to get them to laugh and smile. Um, he would before he, he gave the impact, you know, and he served them. But don't we need to be lights, though, as well? Uh, Of course we do. That's why he said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do they light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. But let me ask you this question. What does light sound like? What does it sound like? I've never heard light I'm not talking about the, bzzz, you know, those those lights in some stores. What does the actual light sound like? We can't hear it. In other words, Jesus linked light with our good deeds, not our good words. Many times than not, Jesus would break down barriers before he would he would share with them the good news of the gospel. For example, the adulterous Samaritan woman at the well, there were all of these barriers between Jesus and this woman. It wouldn't have made sense for them to have a conversation. There was the moral barrier. She was a sinful woman, and he was a priest. You know, he was a high priest, and usually they wouldn't interact. And then Jesus had to break down the social barrier. Jesus was a man, and in those days, men wouldn't talk to women, and vice versa, in a public situation like that. There was the racial barrier. Jesus was Jewish, and she was a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans in those days would have hated each other. There was the religious barrier. Jesus, being a Jew and she a Samaritan, would have had different religious beliefs and convictions. So how did Jesus break down the barriers? He focused on what they had in common. They were both thirsty, water. And so Jesus, what did he do? He asked the woman if she would give him some water. He broke all the rules of the day, and he started communicating to this woman and asked her for help, which would have instilled a confidence, would have surprised her. It would have uh, granted her dignity because he, this man, needed her help. This broke down the barriers. Well, we too can break down the barriers by looking for commonalities in our encounters with people. It's not that difficult. You run into someone like someone did today. One person said, I like your shirt. Thank you very much. Where did you get it? We started the conversation, right? We could do that in Burger King, We could do that anywhere. Hey, um, we could be tactful. Like, where are you from? Oh, wow, are you new here? Um, And just begin conversation like that. We could ask questions. We could listen. We could pray for open doors. Uh, We know of only a handful of times in Scripture where Jesus began on the spiritual level. Can you think of three examples where Jesus began on the spiritual level rather than on a lower level, like a physical level or an emotional level, in his relationships. Can you think of them? Well, you can there, because they're right there. That's right. Nicodemus was one, because he was a religious man. Nicodemus, you know, he's a Pharisee. He ate thought, walked religion, spirituality, and so that was his felt need. And then we have the rich young ruler, Um, who also was religious. His first question was, how can I have eternal life like this Jesus? And so Jesus said, you must obey the commandments. And so they had that conversation. And then the third one was, of course, a thief on the cross. Jesus didn't begin his conversation with him saying, hey, you want to eat with me today? You want to hang out? Um, Whatever. Instead, he said, you know, he began on the spiritual level because this man dying next to him was wondering where he was going to spend eternity. There was this felt need. But then, in every other recorded case in Scripture, Jesus initiated on a different level. The 5,000, they were hungry and they were tired, and so Jesus gave them food. The Samaritan woman at the well, she was excluded, and so he met her on the emotional level, and he He restored dignity to her. Let her know that he wanted to be a friend. The woman caught in adultery. She was rejected by the religious leaders. He met her on an emotional level. Where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. And neither do I accuse you. The demon-possessed man in the cemetery, he was isolated. He was a scary guy. And Jesus met him on the physical level by healing, casting the demon out of him. But then he restored him back to society. He met him on a social level. Go back to your city. Zacchaeus, similarly, he was very lonely. He was a tax collector. He was hated and despised. And so Jesus said, I want to be your friend. I want to eat with you today. Can we eat at your house? He met him on the emotional level. And then the social level, because he restored that social level of acceptance. And then the leper, uh, the leper, one one of the ten that, you know, got healed, he came back to Jesus, you know. Lepers would have been avoided. They would have been unclean. And so Jesus healed him physically, but he didn't leave it at that. He restored him emotionally and socially. He said, go to the priest. And the priest would have said, you are clean. And so that would have done an inner work in him, and it would have restored his emotional health. And then, of course, he was restored to his community because he was healed. People don't care what we know until they know that we care. It's pretty simple. Bill Henson gives us a modern-day example. He, he has lead-them-home ministries to the LGBTQ plus ministry, a really strong Christian who used to lead the gay lifestyle. For years, but it left him empty, and so he came to Christ and he said, You know, I want to live for you, but I'm going to live a celibate life. And I'm going to reach out to my friends, both who are straight and who are leading this gay lifestyle. I want to bring them together, I want to show them hope, I, I want to let them know that there's a better way in Christ. And so that's what his ministries are, and he trains those of us in ministry and other Christians to, to uh, an effective way and strategy to reach those whom Jesus died for, those leading the gay lifestyle the LGBTQ community. So Jesus loves them too. So how do you do that? Well, he gave us a lot of strategies, but one strategy that, that comes to mind is if I meet someone, whether it be on a plane or just sitting on a bench— and they find out I'm a Christian or even a Christian leader a pastor and if they ask me so what do you think about people like us what do you how do you respond how should we respond to them should we he, this is what he says he encourages us to say well listen will you will you continue to be my friend even if we disagree after i share Do you see what he's doing? He's giving the the power or or the control over to this person who's in the insecure spot. And and so he said, I've never, ever, ever been refused because I put relationship above correctness. I put relationship above Uh, I love them unconditionally, without condition, the same way that God loved us by sending us his son. I love them unconditionally, even if we disagree. Put relationship, create a thirst before they're willing to listen to the gospel. Even the great Apostle Paul began his relationships with all of his theological arguments in Scripture. He began his relationships on a felt level, felt need level. For the ultimate purpose, though, of winning them to Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile. It goes on. To win them as well. Verse 22, To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul didn't compromise his beliefs or convictions or his attitudes, but he met people on the level and in, in which he found them, on their felt-need level, to establish a relationship to let him know that they are loved and that they will, they will be respected regardless of the outcome. I'm free, and I belong to no one, yet without compromise in order to win them. But you know what? This journey might take a long time. It may take a long time. Once you meet someone, like I played basketball with guys in, in Indiana every Tuesday and Thursday at the YMCA, and a bunch of them that were cussing pagans, you know? And there are Christians too, but they knew I was a pastor. You know, they gave me a hard time. Hey, Reverend! You know, all that type of thing. But I played with them consistently, for years it was like year 8, 9, 10 some of these guys would end up coming to church to the church where I was youth director and what are you doing here? well I thought I'd come and check it out you know a crisis happened in their life or they were losing their health or they lost a loved one or something and, and because I had relationship with them they were open to the gospel and some of them found Christ sometimes it takes years sowing the seeds of building relationships before you bang them on the head with the Bible. And you pray for open doors all the while, though. Sometimes that open door is immediate, if that's how the Holy Spirit leads. The ultimate purpose, though, of salt and light is to lead others to spiritual transformation. So besides creating thirst, though, salt was also used to preserve purity. And this is for another sermon, but this is interesting. Bacteria and many types of fungus cannot survive in salty environments. And so we read about Elisha the prophet in 2 Kings. Then he went out to the spring and threw salt into the spring, saying, this is what the Lord says, I've healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day according to the word Elisha had spoken. So salt is good for preservation and for healing and and for um, purity as well. But what about our words? Are they important? Well, of course they are. In, In the Great Commission, Mark 16, Jesus said, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Preach. People need to hear the gospel, too, that Jesus died, he rose again, he lives today, he gives us his spirit Um, Jesus appeared to 500 you know the gospel simple gospel message if God opens the doors and people are interested then you share the gospel message but we need to be sure to share our words in love Paul says speak the truth in love after all the gospel does mean what good news the gospel means good news people are dying to hear good news Do our words convey good news? Are they done in love? Because people won't care what we know until they know that we care. Do our words display the fruit of the Spirit? Everything in our lives should display the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are our words gentle when we share with someone in opposition to us or who are lost? Are they filled with peace and joy? Is it good news? And secondly, we need to remember that our enemies are not flesh and blood, although we think it's us versus them, you know? Do our words convey a critical spirit, us versus them mentality, opposition? Me right, you wrong, aha, we know this for eternity, you know? If that's our attitude, then we might as well just slam the door in people's faces. And we'll be to blame, we'll be held responsible for that. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. They are the principalities and powers of the unseen realm. When someone seeks to correct me, it really does depend on their attitude as to whether I will receive it or not, or or how I will respond to it. If, If people come with a haughty attitude or critical or or, or shaming-based attitude, then I will kind of shut them down. I'll get def- defensive. I, I may s- sit there and listen, but afterwards I'll say, oh my gosh, that was horrible. And I will lose respect. But if people come, and I know that they are loving, and they're my friend, they they can criticize me all they want in a constructive way, because I know by their attitude and their demeanor that they want restoration and, and, and they care about me if that's the attitude then I'm wide open I, I learn from people just ask my wife she does so on a regular basis and I do with her <laughs> and we're still together after all these years <laughs> gracing words or shaming words Jesus used gracing words even with Peter who was a knucklehead open mouth insert foot early on the ministry Jesus said I'm going to change your name Cephas To what? To Peter. Peter means the rock. Yeah, Rocky. Call me Rocky. That's awesome. And then Peter continued to mess up and stumble and fall the next years time and time again. But Jesus said, I believe in you, Peter. You are going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes, but I believe in you. This is what I think of you. You are the rock. And then Peter ultimately fulfilled that prophecy of Jesus I recall experiences of correction from teachers, parents, members of churches, uh, coaches, um, like a football coach that I feared growing up as an elementary school kid. I was a pretty good running back, but he would often say when I messed up, you run like you're skipping through the woods to your grandmama's house, carrying a loaf of bread. Now get of And I was like, okay. And and I, to this day, I remember that so vividly, and it conjures up really insecure, negative feeling within me. Um, it was, they were words of destruction. On the other hand, I had a coach in high school, my gymnastics coach, Fred J. Nattarelli, a short Italian guy. We messed up on a routine, which happened on a pretty regular basis because we, we had several routines in the gymnastics meet. He would come up and he would say, Hey, shake our hand he'd smile and he'd say ah oh well hey you're going to get it next time we'll work on it come on pat us on the back i love fred j Natterelli. in fact i've called him on a couple occasions just to let him know how great of an impact he was they were gracing words rather than shaming words jesus graced people would you rather have coach izzo as a coach or would you rather have coach tang i'll tell you who i'd rather have Jesus graced the broken You might be thinking Well he had some strong words for the Pharisees You whitewashed tombs You hypocrites You, you uh, whatever You vipers um, he, he did and that's for another sermon But we're focusing on those who are lost Those who are broken This morning We're not talking about the religious Pharisees so much today And that attitude And there's a place for that too For the prophetic voice but I'm talking about our witness to the lost world. With that in mind, I'm going to invite Hadley up, just for a short testimony. Hadley and Katie Hagaman, newlyweds. Hadley uh, was born and raised in this church. Um, a great guy, played tennis with him. And, and Katie, um, they'll tell you a little of their story and how uh, their testimony kind of fits into this message. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Hadley and I are excited to share a little bit with you about people who have been salt and light in our lives and how that's really impacted us. So personally for me, all throughout high school and going into college, I was looking to a lot of different things to give me satisfaction, fulfillment, joy. I was hoping boys would give me worth and validity in my my beauty and my appearance. I was hoping that alcohol would give me confidence and hoping it would help me cope when things got hard. I didn't know how to handle tough situations. I was hoping sports and my friends um, would help validate my worth and that I could be good enough. I was hoping good grades would get me into a good school. That way I could have a good job and there I could find worth and have purpose. But all of these things throughout high school and into college, they left me still a little bit empty, but I didn't really know what else there was. So I just kind of continued that lifestyle. It wasn't until my sophomore year of college, one of my really good friends who lived the same lifestyle with me, we were the party girls together in our sorority, her life started to look a little bit different. I kind of watched her for a little while, and I finally was like, okay, Kath, like, what's different? There's something different about you. And she was like, I became a believer. I accepted Christ. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, I believe in God, too. And so she was patient with me. She's like, why don't we just look at scripture? Why don't we just see what the Bible says about being a Christian, what that is? So I was like, all right, sounds good. And so she started to walk through scripture with me very simply, just pointed out simple verses on what it means to walk with God, what the gospel is. And it was then that I realized I did not have an understanding of the gospel. I had no idea about sin. I didn't know that separated me from God. I didn't know about Jesus really much I knew there was a God and I knew there was Jesus but I didn't know you could have a personal relationship with him I kind of just viewed God as up there and me and down here and we kind of just coexisted and that was about it and so it was through reading scripture that I realized okay wait I'm not a believer but you think maybe I accepted Christ I didn't I was like you know what I'm not ready for that life I don't really know what the Christian life looks like I'm more comfortable in this life I'm living I know this a lot better so I just continued to do that but Kathy didn't give up on me She continued to be that salt and that light. She continued to pour into me. She continued to take me to church with her. She let me ask her tons of questions. She took me to the party, but she asked if she could be the one to pick me up. We got to process how the night went, what went good, what didn't, and she kindly looked at scripture with me and showed me where my life didn't align with scripture, not to condemn me because I wasn't a believer, but to show me that maybe some of the things I was struggling with, some of the problems I was having in my life were because my life wasn't aligning with scripture and that God and and Jesus had joy and had satisfaction and had life so it's actually a whole year of her sharing with me and a few other ladies mentoring me that I became a believer and that was only about six years ago but I'm just so thankful for people who don't give up on you who want to pursue you who show you with their life and with their words that there is joy there is hope and there's a life with Christ that's way better than the one without him
2: And yeah, I think all of us have testimonies of people who have been salt in life in our lives or examples of um, when you have been salt in life. For me, I um, grew up in the church. Many of you know me. Many of you have been mentors and teachers, Sunday school teachers and, and youth group leaders and um, had, had a lot of people pouring into me and was a believer from a young age. Um, but a lot of high school and early college, I felt like I was living a double life. Um, I was reading my Bible, wanting to grow in my faith and, and to know the Lord better, but at the same time, one foot in the world and looking for life truly there um, with achievement or um, the approval approval of other people um, and all the, all of the things that, that young guys struggle with in high school and, and college and then going into college, um, being in a fraternity, all those things just continue to ramp up more and more. And if it wasn't for a few faithful men who came alongside me... Um, they they helped me walk through those things to walk in, in freedom. Their lives were examples of what it looked like to have the fruits of the spirit to walk in the joy of the Lord, um, to find victory and freedom in Christ. And as they started to pursue me in the same way that um, Kathy pursued, Katie, they helped me walk, um, walk more closely with the Lord to to find life truly in the Lord um, and not in those other things that I was searching for life in. Um, and, and their examples did a few things. First. It was salt in the way that God, that John was talking about. how um, Salt creates thirst. Their lives were examples of what I didn't have: true joy, true life. So it created that thirst. Secondly, it um, it showed me how to to walk with the Lord deeply and find life there. And then thirdly, it gave me something to replicate. While they were making while they were discipling me, they were teaching me how to make disciples myself and the joy of that. Um, and so, in dark places, they were lights. For us, just as they were for, for many many of you people, have this um, same kind of story.
0: And then the rest of the story was how Haley pursued Katie, but we won't tell you that story. <laughs> Lord willing, they're going to be future missionaries that will support. Can I tell them where you might be going? No. southeast asia potentially they're praying about that and so we can begin praying for them as they're discerning that process together so uh, i just have two more quick slides just to sum this up okay and then the worship team you can be invited to come up here as well you might be thinking um, i can be kind of salt but oh man in light but i don't ask me to share with anyone verbally i'm not good at that well um that's important too to be praying for those open doors to share the gospel. Jay Pethick wrote this. He he said, If you find yourself the kind of person that's kind of messed up and you're sure God wouldn't use you, you are the exact kind of person he likes to use. More directly, if you're the kind of person that thinks you're holy and good at stuff, oh, that's a problem. God's going to have to level you to use you because you need to know it's not about you. God humbles the proud, but he, he He lifts up the humble when we depend on him. He says, you know, I, I love using foolish people to shame the wise. He says, I love using weak people. In fact, I glory in using weak people. I make them strong in the, in the Lord. It's sort of like the beautiful moon that we see outside, the full moon, and it's just, whoa, that's awesome. Look at the colors. Look at the light. Well, you're really staring at a hunk of dark rock. That's what you're staring at. And it's reflecting the light of the sun. That's what gives us its beauty. In the same way, we're like the hunks of rock. Apart from Christ, we are dead. But when life, the life of Christ reflects and lives through us, that gives us life, and it makes us effective as witnesses for him. And one other illustration is God doesn't use beautiful chandeliers. He uses greasy old shop lights in dark places. We're meant to go into the dark places of the world to be those greasy old shop lights. And so he, he glories in that. So we're, we're called to faithfully share in our words and deeds. And then finally, when we do share either in our words and or deeds, we, people will respond differently to us. Uh, Some may reject us, and some may love it, Uh, be attracted to the light like moths to a flame, you know? And and we know about moths, don't we? Uh, Moths to a light. Uh, And in Scripture it says here, even in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They're attracted to that, and they're attracted to Christ. They want to know more. They're thirsting. But then there are others Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, their righteous deeds. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against me, because, against you because of me. Other people react negatively toward Christians, but it's not up to us. We're just called to be faithful, and the Holy Spirit will do His job in the lives of others who are seeking. We may plant the seed. They may respond in a very negative way. Don't take it personally. You know, God's still at work, and we're called to be faithful. Let's pray. So thank you, Lord, for uh, this day that we can come and be reminded of what you taught us in the Sermon on the Mount to be salt and light. I I pray, God, that you give us opportunities to be just that and give us the intentionality to do that with our coworkers, our friends. You put us on a lampstand, and that stand happens to be our sphere of influence, Lord, uh, wherever it may be. And so I pray, God, that you give us the intentionality and and the desire to be salt and light. To your glory, in Christ's name, amen.